Good morning, church. Would you stand with us this morning as we worship? Your voice it thunders, the oaks start twisting, the forest sounds with cedars breaking. The waters see you and start their writhing, from the depths their song is rising. Rising from the ground, holy, 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 holy Lord, the earth is yours and singing, holy, 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 holy Lord, the earth is yours. Voice it thunders, the ground is shaking, the mighty mountains now are trembling. Creation sees you and starts composing, the fields and trees they start rejoicing. Now it's rising from the ground. Welcome this morning. Let's just start our prayer time with just a few deep breaths. Father, we, we inhale all that is of you this morning, your graciousness, your love, and your peace. And as we exhale, Father, we, we just try to exhale all the stuff that we've brought in here this morning that would distract us from seeing you and being aware of your presence. 
And as we do, Lord, we, we just attempt to orient ourselves in a way that will be open to the, the possibility of hearing from you, of seeing you in a new way. Thank you for this sacred time and space together, Father. May it be yours, and may you speak to us this morning. Amen. Darkness tries to roll over my bones When sorrow comes to steal the joy I own When brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken I won't be shaken Cause my fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love Shame no longer has a place to hide to lies I'm not afraid to leave my past behind but I won't be shaken I won't be shaken cause my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love my fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love my fear doesn't Stand a chance when I stand in your love. There's power that can break off every chain. There's power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power that can save. There's power.
You can be seated. me this morning in our call to worship. Here we go. <laughs> in the fullness of time, God sent Jesus as a revelation of God's own self. When we thought all hope was lost, God offered the Holy Spirit to heal and guide us. For the Trinity of Understanding, we sing praise. This morning is from the book of John. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears and whatever he will declare to you, the things that are from me. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The word of the Lord. Look out the window, 
I walk to the meadow and stare at the flowers. Better dressed than any girl on her wedding day. So why should I worry? Why do I flip out? God knows what I need. You know what I need. Your love is, your love is, your love is strong. Your love is, your love is, your love is strong. Your love is, your love is, your love is strong. We've come to our time in the service for prayers of the people, and we'll ask you to start with a time of silence like we normally do, praying and confessing to God.
Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Lord, hear our prayers and let our cries come to you this morning. We pray for the church universal and the body of believers around the world. Give us grace to combat division and to act in love. God, our creator, we pray for all people in need because of war, famine, or natural disaster. And may we join in your saving power to lighten the burden of suffering and to seek justice and peace for all. Lord, hear our prayers and let our cries come to you. God, we pray for our nations, city, and community leaders to come together to resolve the issues that affect those who are struggling. Help us to cooperate with one another to fight prejudice and to provide a pathway to wholeness and healing for people in our lives facing illness or addiction. We pray you would help us be a people who move toward those who are in pain, offering friendship and acceptance. Lord, hear our prayers and let our cries come to you. We lift up all those who are affected by the recent and frequent violence that is plaguing our country. We're desperate for relief and answers. We're fearful of a continued future. We confess that we cling to the empty things that make us feel like we are safe. We hold them so tightly that we turn on one another and on your ways of love to our neighbors. Our safety is in you, God. Be our strength and our refuge and a very present help in our time of trouble. Lord, hear our prayers and let our cries come to you. We pray this morning for our redemption community. We ask for your comfort to wash over anyone who comes here with a heavy heart, dealing with sadness, illness, loneliness, or disappointment. You are near to the brokenhearted, and we pray now for each other to feel your loving presence in the darkness. Be our light when we are overwhelmed. And for Karen Schwartz this morning, whose mother-in-law is in the hospital, we pray for healing and comfort for her and their family. And for those needs we're not yet ready to voice, that we have no words for, we thank you that you know them already, and we ask for your loving kindness in those places. We praise you for this summer season as we take breaks and spend time together and play and vacation. Give us rest and joy together with friends and family. We pray for all these things this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's now time in our service where we worship through the giving of tithes and offerings, which you can do by going to our website, redemptionchurchkc.com. Click on the tab that says give, and you'll have to register some information. You can give one time or give a recurring payment. If you have any questions about that, you can um, reach us through the website. Please stand and continue worshiping with us.
Marty. It's now time to bless our children. If you are new with us this morning, please feel free to find the person in the back with the red U18 clipboard. They would love to show you where your child's classroom is. Otherwise, please feel free to assist your child in the transition to their classrooms by following them to the atrium and looking for our preschool, elementary, and Club 56 leaders. If you are with your child, put your arms around them and let's bless our kids. Lord, we ask you to bless our children. We know that before they belong to us, they belong to you, and that we are helping them to steward their lives for your kingdom. As we send them out to be together and with their teachers, we ask that you would go with them, that as they read the scriptures, they wouldn't just see far off names and places, but that they would catch a glimpse of you and your great love for all of us. More than anything, we pray that they would never know a single day that they don't feel a part of the people of God. So we bless them and ask you to bless them in Christ's name. And we pray as we always do that you would bind our hearts together as a church. Teach us to love each other and the world around us for your sake. Amen. Take a couple of minutes to say hello and greet those around you.
you hear me? <laughs> oh, I could do the clap. Oh, that's Larry to the rescue. Thank you. We do at Strengthening Families, if any of you have been involved in Strengthening Families, we do this thing where you go, and they have to clap back. Maybe we should start that. It's always very elementary school. Good, thank you, thank you. Good morning, good morning. My name's Mandy, if you don't know me. Um, it's good to be here with you today. You got me again, two times in one month. Yeah, yeah, right. You guys are sweet. Um, so here we are at Trinity Sunday. This is actually the one Sunday in the church calendar that is specifically devoted to a theological doctrine instead of like an event in Jesus' life or an act of God in the world. It's the only one actually that, um, because we have kind of celebrated all this other stuff in the church calendar, the coming of Christ at Christmas, the resurrection, the ascension, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, which was just last week. So now we have this sort of whole picture, and those who put together the church calendar thought it was a good idea to do Trinity Sunday then at the end of all of that, and I guess it is. And obviously, when you, you know, think about providing a definitive truth <laughs> and an understanding of one of the most essential doctrines of the church, you think, get Mandy. <laughs> I'm your girl, right? Thank you, Tim Subtle. But I hate to disappoint you, because <laughs> I, I really can't do that. But since it is that day, I can at least quote, you know, other people. <laughs> Um, how about we start with 4th century Bishop of Alexandria, Saint Athanasius. Some of you have probably heard of Athanasius. He was an early and ardent defender of Trinitarianism. He says it this way, we acknowledge the Trinity holy and perfect to consist of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In this Trinity there is no intrusion of any alien element or from anything outside, nor is the Trinity a blend of creative and created being. It is a wholly creative and energizing reality, self-consistent and undivided in its acts of power. For the Father makes all things through the Word and in the Holy Spirit. Accordingly, in the church, one God is preached, one God who is above all things and through all things and in all things. God is above all things as Father, for God is principle in source. God is through all things, through the word, and God is in all things in the Holy Spirit. So, sorted. <laughs> we could just go, that makes sense, right? We could just go to an early lunch. I'm just kidding. If you didn't totally track with that or you didn't get it, don't feel dumb. <clears throat> Even really smart and accomplished people have had trouble with this concept. In fact, in 1804, Thomas Jefferson, who had already drafted the Declaration of Independence, he had built Monticello. He was about halfway through his presidency and he decided to take on this really ambitious project. He decided that he would rewrite the New Testament. I mean, not exactly rewrite it, but he didn't want to add anything. He just wanted to remove all the stuff that didn't make sense to him. I know, the hubris. <laughs> there were inconsistencies, there were some implausible stories, but most of all, there was all that confusing stuff about God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even for Jefferson, who was an Enlightenment-era intellectual, uh, he was not only the president of the U.S., but also the American Philosophical Society. Like, he was, you know, pretty weighty intellect. 
The Trinity did not make sense. How could God exist in three persons? It was, I think he might have said, a simple matter of addition. You can be one being in three, but you can't be both at the same time. If Trinity Sunday stumped even Jefferson, you can imagine that it has long been the bane of most teachers, pastors' existence. Even at the best of times, I think that it's hard to get excited about Trinity Sunday. You know, most Christian festivals at least celebrate events or they are fun to describe or dramatize. Gabriel's appearance, that's a good one. Jesus' transfiguration, the birth in the manger, the resurrection, of course. But Trinity Sunday only really invites us to celebrate this idea. And not just an idea, but a theological abstraction that is truthfully beyond my understanding, our understanding, one in three, three in one. Needless to say, we're not living in the best of times, though, are we? As I talk to you today, I think about the people in Ukraine suffering, you know, and I can't imagine what those people who were just a few short months ago going to work and helping their kids with their homework, what they're going through now as their, their cities just descend into chaos. Of course, in our country, there are decades of old injustices that are being uncovered and often filmed on smartphones. And the pain of that has spilled into our communities in really violent and terrible ways, hasn't it? And of course, the unthinkable has happened for 10 families in Buffalo and 21 families in Uvalde, Texas. I mean, the pain is, is too deep, really, for words. I can hardly hear the stories. And a couple years ago, we hadn't even heard the word COVID. And here we are, a lot of lives lost, devastation to our economy. A lot of people are still sick. All over the world, there are these catastrophic headlines that really darkens our days. And I know I'm not the only one who's tired, who's heart sick and anxious and overwhelmed. I'm so angry about what's happening in our national politics that I'm, I'm kind of barely hanging on to a belief in one God. And today the church wants us to contemplate three. Why? <clears throat> well, <laughs> when I think of the Trinity, what I think of is mostly how I've been on the receiving end of many really well-meaning but inadequate attempts to explain the triune God. There's the, I'm sure you, these are all familiar, the Trinity is like a water, it's sort of like water, you know, liquid, vapor, ice, three phases, one entity. You could think of a tree, the roots, the trunk, the branches, three parts, one tree, the egg, the famous egg analogy, the uh, egg white, the yolk, the shell, the triangle, the shamrock, there's a million, you probably all grew up with them. I have this really clear memory uh, in Sunday school of years, I must have been like eight or nine, and the teacher told me that the Trinity was like an apple, the peel, then like the meat of the apple, and the core. And I remember asking her, well, what about the seeds? And she was like, no, that's not part of it. It's not part of the Trinity. <laughs> I was like, what about the stem? She was like, no, it's not part of it. She was really exasperated. <laughs> that's, that was me at eight. All of these analogies, they're, they're sweet, but they, are, they fall short. They're inadequate. And I think we have all had some trouble understanding the concept of the Trinity. The Trinity is illogical. It's unmathematical. You know, I mean, there could be an argument made for just, let's just straighten it out for once and for all. We could go back to the religious drawing board and say, nope, we are going to adhere to the singleness of God, or we could throw in the monotheistic towel and embrace a great plurality of gods. I mean, aren't we kind of creating a lot of unnecessary confusion by sticking with this poorly constructed math problem? 
The trouble here is, of course, that Christianity is not an equation or a theorem, and God is not an egg or an apple. Christianity is the revelation of God in Jesus. And before I go on, just in case any of you are getting a little twitchy, I want you to know that I wholeheartedly embrace and affirm the Trinity without hesitation. I'm just confessing to you this morning that after a lifetime of kind of being a churchgoer and studying the Bible and being a, trying to be a person of faith, it is, it's confusing. I don't understand it. All of these attempts at explaining the Trinity actually fall very short at addressing what I think oops, sorry, is possibly the deeper question. Why should we care? I mean, what difference does it truly make? Fine, if God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or whatever, given the state of our world right now, why should the Christian doctrine of the Trinity matter? So maybe for starters, we need the Trinity to teach us, me, a lesson in humility. In this really polarized time when religion is often just a weapon, it's easy to imagine that we have a monopoly on the divine, isn't it? It's easy to be smug or complacent and to assume that our articulation of faith, our liturgy, our worship, capture the best version of who God is and what he desires. One thing the Trinity does by its very complexity is challenge this assumption. In truth, maybe the very fact that I have struggled to understand is the lesson because the truth of God will always exceed us. The truth of God will always be more than our tiny, easily overwhelmed minds can bear. The truth of God will always confront, convict, and remake us, even as it is soothing and affirming us. And this is a good thing. It is good and right and necessary to remember that we are created in God's image. We are not at liberty to reshape God into ours. So I begin the celebration of Trinity Sunday with that humble acknowledgement that I am I'm out of my depth. You could have guessed. But it's, um, it's good, and perhaps I could even say that we all are a little bit out of our depth. You know, we begin in fear and trembling, rejecting our own arrogance, and recognizing that when it comes to comprehending God, we're pretty dependent on divine revelation. And I should note, in talking about the Trinity, it is hard not to veer just a tiny bit into heresy because every explanation or analogy is simply inadequate and the language and the words that we use fail us. It's a concept we really don't have a category for and the words we're forced to use cannot really bear the mystery of the Trinity. So I just give you that disclaimer. Let's do that while Tim's gone, right? Be heretics. But then what, why does the Trinity matter? Well, it does in fact matter because we believe, what we believe about the nature of God in whose image we are all created is a matter of life and death. How can we know who we are and what we were made for and who we should be to each other unless we know who God is? If the desire and delight of God is that we live into the fullness of the Imago Dei, the image of God, then we have to commit ourselves to studying and experiencing God's nature in all of its fullness and complexity. So is there anything today we could say with assurance on the, about the Trinity? Well, um, Franciscan priest and theologian, you know him well, I'm sure, Richard Rohr, says that caring about the Trinity requires orienting ourselves in a new way. He says, don't start with the one and try to make it into three. In his book, The Divine Dance, he says, start with the three and see that this is the deepest nature of the one. 
Start with the three and see that this is the deepest nature of the one. So I'm just thinking about what it might look like to follow Richard Rohr's advice. What will we discover about God's character, about his personality and God's priorities? If we see the threeness as the ground and the essence of God's being. So I thought this morning we could just talk about some of those possibilities, like thoughts on Trinity. So if we see the Trinity through that lens, one, I think we will see that God is dynamic. If God is triune, God does not exist in a monolithic stasis. Instead, God's self is fluid. God moves. Or to use Rohr's language, God flows and God is flow. God dances and God is dance. Regardless of whether we learn to tolerate that discomfort, the discomfort of this fluidity or not, I think we worship a God who's always on the move, who's always spilling over organically, always a surprise. And his coherence doesn't really require him to be rigid. Ken Stork uh, writes this poem called The Holy Trinity. He says, expand, do not contract God, for God is the great iconoclast. So what does it matter for us? I think it matters because I think we're prone to rigidity. If we're honest, we don't like change, and we're often reluctant to embrace what is new, what is unfamiliar and uncomfortable. But if God's nature is flow and movement and dance, then I think we need to find the courage to enter into that same flow, that same movement and dance. So everyone stand up. No, I'm just kidding. I was going to try to fake like I could, I was going to teach you to dance or something, but I can't, can't pull it off. We, but we do have to be willing to evolve. The second thing is, I think we'll see as God as diverse. If God exists in three persons, then each person has his or her own way of embodying and expressing goodness, beauty, expressing love and righteousness. As Rohr puts it, the Trinity affirms that there is an intrinsic plurality to goodness. Goodness isn't sameness, he says. Goodness to be goodness needs contrast. It needs tension and perfect not perfect uniformity. If God can incarnate goodness through contrast and tension, then it's worth asking why we can't or why we're sometimes unwilling. Why do we fear difference so much when difference lies at the heart of God's nature? And of course, given the divisions that are really tearing our country apart right now, I can't imagine a more relevant characteristic to think about than God's innate diversity. As churches, as communities, as countries, we will not survive unless we learn how to live gracefully and peaceably with difference. We will not heal unless we are honest about our fears. We are penitent about our histories and unrelenting in longing for God's diverse nature to be realized among us. Three, if you're keeping track, we'll see that God is sacrificial love. The Trinity is at the heart and an expression of deep, unfaltering, and life-giving love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The relationship between the persons of the Godhead is its not a relationship of domination, of power-mongering, manipulation. It's a relationship of unselfish, sacrificial love. So this begs the question, if God's very being is grounded in love, and we're created in that image, then who are we? What are we? Are we like the triune God whose imprint we do bear, motivated first and foremost by love. Is that what we're known for? 
Number four, I think we'll see God as hospitable. In the 15th century, there was this Russian iconographer, Andrei Rublev. He created this icon, it's probably familiar to you, it's called the Hospitality of Abraham. It's also known as the Trinity. It's kind of one of the most well-known and beloved icons in Christendom. In it, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, depicted as the three angels who'd appeared, who had appeared to Abraham at the tree of, uh, I think it's Mamar, Mamre. They sit around the table, they're sharing food, they're sharing drink. And I don't know if you can really tell, their faces are identical, but they're dressed in different colors. The Father wears gold, the Son blue, and the Spirit green. The Father gazes at the Son, the Son gazes back at the Father, but gestures toward the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gazes at the Father, but then points to the Son with one hand and opens up the circle with the other, making room for others to join in what appears to be this sacred meal. As a whole, the icon just exudes adoration and closeness. Clearly, I think the three people around the table respect each other and enjoy each other, but it also exudes openness. There's a space at the table for the viewer of the icon, for me, for us, as if to say the point of the great three-in-one is not exclusivity. God is not a middle school clique. He is radical, radical hospitality. The point of the three is always to add one more, always to extend the invitation, to make the table more expansive and more welcoming. In fact, I think the deeper the intimacy between that three grows, the roomier the table becomes. The closer we draw to the adoration of the Trinity, the wider, and more hospitable our hearts can grow. And then number five, finally, we see that God is communal. And this is where I wanna just spend a couple minutes. Uh, you know, it's one thing to say that God values community or that God thinks community is good for us. It's altogether another to say that God is communal, that God is relationship, is intimacy, connection, and communion. Evidence of this divine characteristic runs all through the scriptures. When God the Son is baptized, God the Spirit descends in the form of a dove, and God the Father parts the heavens to speak delight and affirmation. The Spirit of God drives the Son of God into the wilderness. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Son of God cries out to God the Father for help and for solace. It is God the Father who raises the crucified Son, vindicating his death. Throughout the gospel story, the three exist interdependently. We could probably consider the Trinity this way. There's this guy, Dale, Frederick Dale Bruner, who wrote this book, The Holy Spirit, the shy member of the Trinity. I thought it was kind of interesting. He said that his quote is, one of the most surprising discoveries in my own study of the doctrine of the Spirit in the New Testament is what I can only call the shyness of the Holy Spirit. What I mean here is not the shyness of timidity, but the spirit of deference. It is a spirit of concentrated attention on one another. It is not the shyness which we often experience of self-centeredness, but the shyness of other-centeredness. In a word, the shyness of love. I had never really thought of, thought of that in the Trinity, a shyness, but um, in John 14, 26, it says, let the Counselor and the Holy Spirit, who is the Father, will send you in my name, will teach you all things, remind you of everything I have said to you. In other words, when the Spirit comes, the Spirit will remind people of Jesus. 
Also in John 16, which is part of our passage today, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, I believe, is to get people to focus on Jesus, to point to Jesus. And while that's going on, when we look at Jesus, we see that Jesus didn't walk around pointing himself either. Jesus says things like, I, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. He also says he did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus submitted to the leadership of the Holy Spirit going into the wilderness. In Mark, it says he, the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. He also submits to the Father. He says, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus has this same shyness, to use Bruner's word. And Jesus says to the disciples, it's actually a good thing that I'm going to go because the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, is going to come to you, and you will be glad you have the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing. And then there's the Father. Twice, of course, we hear the voice of the Father at Jesus' baptism and his transfiguration. Both times he says, this is my priceless son. I am so pleased with him. And Bruner writes that when the father points to the son, you know, he never says, hey, don't forget about me. Don't get caught up with Jesus so much that you don't even pay attention to me. Of course not. God the father is shy too. The whole trinity is shy. Bruner writes, each member of the trinity points faithfully and selflessly to the other in this endless selfless circle of love where everyone lives to lift up and serve one another. That's life in the trinity. God exists in a community of mutual servanthood and mutual delight. God is three and yet one. And you know what I think, if I'm, if I'm being really honest, I think that the oneness of the Trinity is the secret of the universe. I'll, I'll go on record, the secret of the universe. You know why? Because God made humans in his image. He made us in his image. That is great news because that means that we have a teeny tiny bit of potential for that. It goes way back to Genesis, of course. God says Adam and Eve are two and yet became one flesh. Being made in the image of God gives us the capacity for oneness. The Trinity is, is three and yet it is one. And he makes humans in his image because oneness in a multiple of persons makes a richness and a beauty that is by far better than the oneness of just one. It's the endless Trinitarian fellowship of love and joy and delight in each other. And I think there's a world of joy within the Trinity. Love in this threeness has the essence of one, where there is no competition, there's no struggle, there's no vying for position. And I believe that's what we were made for, that kind of community. Unfortunately, the fall caused the loss of that kind of community, didn't it? Because Adam and Eve, you know, they got chucked out of Eden, and we always long for this oneness, this, this ache for intimacy and union. If we have to prove our worth or that we are significant or that we matter so much, it just it kills that kind of community, doesn't it? it? It's toxic to it. But for God, there is a perfect community, three and yet one. No comparing or competing or trying to get your way. There's no subordination in the Trinity. I just, I don't think God would have it. Just mutual submission and serving and delight in one another. And it's out of that richness that God created humans to enjoy that kind of community too. Dallas Willard says, 
The advantage of believing in the Trinity is not that we get an A from God for knowing the right answer. The advantage of believing in Trinity is that we then live as if the Trinity is real, as if the cosmos around us are actually beyond all else, a community of unspeakable, magnificent, personal beings of boundless love, knowledge, and power. The advantage of believing in the Trinity is that we can live as if it's real. And Jesus has this extraordinary prayer in John 17. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their words, that they may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. And it's this endless kind of Trinitarian fellowship of love and joy and delight in each other. And however you want to visualize it, I don't think that's a great graphic, but there is a world of joy within the Trinity. And, you know, we're out here, you know, east of Eden, but Jesus says, Father, may they also be in us. So if we orient ourselves in a Trinitarian universe and live like it's actually real and like like that red arrow at a shopping mall map. You are here. It says you are here, and nothing irredeemable can happen to you or me right there. I think it has to be that way because I think that's the reality of the Trinity. Trinitarian fellowship is the foundation of what is real, and we have been invited into that fellowship. God sent his son to the cross. He disadvantaged himself out of love so that we could enter the Trinitarian fellowship. Jesus says that when there is this authentic oneness in the church, that that's how the world will recognize. He doesn't say that they may have the power to influence the culture or to out-argue somebody on social media, you know, or even to, to have cool worship services. It's oneness. That's how the world will recognize. Oneness is always the signature of God so that their world will know. So if God is communal at God's very heart, if three is the deepest nature of the one, then what are we doing when we stay away from each other, when we isolate ourselves or go it alone? I think we have to not privilege independence and autonomy over companionship and mutuality. We can't prioritize our individual rights over our care and concern for the most vulnerable. If the Trinity really is more than just this bit of dusty doctrine that the early church fought over, then we can't take lightly the power of the communal. God is relationship, and it is in relationship with God, with ourselves, and with each other that we experience and embody God's nature, because we just need each other. And why should we care about the three-in-one? We should care because we are the children of the Trinity. At the time in the world, the world's reeling and desperate, we are the children of a mysterious, fluid, diverse, hospitable, communal, and loving God who wants to guide us into the whole truth of who God is and who we are. We should care because the mystery of the Trinity has the power to transform our hearts. This week and always, I just pray for us that your lives will reflect the beauty of that triune God. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that 
we will be a place where you are on display for all the things we do and pull together, Lord. We pray that it is you that we are pointing to. I pray that we can come into a slightly fuller understanding of the, the Trinity, Lord, even though it's a hard one for us, for our minds. And we can recognize and be aware and be uh, grateful for being invited into that kind of fellowship, Lord. Help us to find ourselves there right in the middle of that Trinity. We love you and we thank you. Amen. We are going to receive communion right now. And of course, like always, we ask that if you call in the name of Jesus, just know that you're welcome here at this table. So join us um, as we receive communion. I would like to note that last week was Pentecost Sunday, and on Pentecost, it's part of our tradition here at Redemption Church that we, that's the time of year, it's the Sunday in the year that we kind of link up together. And if you are interested in joining our church, uh, what that really means is, <laughs> is uh, signing a roll book. And we ask as just kind of a, a signifier that you sign a rock and put it, uh, jo join those rocks there in the corner on top of the other rocks. It's just kind of a symbolic thing we do if you have added to your family in some way um, and would like to, even if you have signed the rule book before, you can do that. And we do that during communion. So please feel free to partake in that. Um, and it's, I think, also important to note that what that means to join redemption is that we'll just figure it out together. You know, we spend the rest of the year throwing our hats in together and saying, we'll figure out what it looks like to be a disciple. So we're going to receive communion, and we first we want to read the scripture from 1 Corinthians, when the Apostle Paul told the church, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and we had, when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. In this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, the way we do communion here is a usher will come down the aisle and dismiss you out into the rows. There will be servers up front. You can take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, and say, Remember the body and blood of Christ. They'll say that to you. You can say amen in response. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask you to bless this bread and this cup. May it be to us a spiritual food and drink and means of your grace. As we receive it into our bodies, may we receive you once again. Come live inside us and make us new from the inside out. Then send us out into the world to be salt and light and let the world feast upon us and taste and see that you are good so that all may know your goodness. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Will you come?
shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you and give you peace. And amen, 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 this morning um, to remind you of. Uh, first of all, if you have signed up to be a volunteer at Soccer Camp,